Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, and welcome to Streets Ahead, your podcast dedicated to low-traffic neighborhoods, temporary cycle lanes, and increasing space for pedestrians. I'm Adam Tranter. I'm Laura Laker. And I'm Ned Bolting. I enjoyed that pause there, Laura. I thought that was excellent. I know, I was doing a little dance. You were doing a little dance, and so I was doing a dance. It really built up the tension. It really built up the tension. Anyway, carry on, Adam. (laughs) We're, uh, We're here this week to tell you that emergency active travel measures aren't just for Christmas if you're lucky. And this week we bring tidings of tranche two, the long awaited second half of the government's COVID active travel plans. They made a long journey by donkey. <laughs> Laura, this is, this is awful. They made a long journey by donkey across the desert <laughs> and had to sleep in a barn for a bit, but they're finally here, not just for Christmas. Yes, but delivered by Christmas. No. Um, Laura, what, other than the Christmas references, what is it that we're talking about today? Yeah, so we are talking about tranche two of the Emergency Active Travel Fund, except now it's not the Emergency Active Travel Fund, it's just the Active Travel Fund. And that's because councils are going to have to put in stuff that's more permanent. It's no longer temporary, hopefully, but they have to consult is the big thing that Grant Sharks is saying. And that's the, that's the, well, that's the big thing that PA and the Telegraph and others have picked up on this morning. But basically, this is the bigger pot of money. It's roughly three quarters of the total pot. And um, councils have to do long term stuff with it, basically. So we're talking pop up. Pop-up bike lanes are going to be permanent bike lanes. We're going to expand pedestrian space and low traffic neighbourhoods are a big part of the puzzle too. So pretty exciting, but it's not new money. (laughs) So so just to to recap for the numpty outsider, i.e. me, um, what this is really basic stuff. So forgive me for asking again, but maybe some, maybe some listeners are, are sort of wondering, are councils obliged to take this money or is it a, it's a voluntary grant, but if they take the money, there are certain obligations that come with it. Is that how it works? Well, they've bid for it. So, um, but I mean, judging by the response from tranche one, it seems like some of them are perhaps not so keen as others. Um, so yeah, 
basically councils were told in the first tranche that they needed to make space for walking and cycling or have a reason why not. Basically, it was statutory guidance to tell them in light of COVID, people have to avoid public transport. People are trying to socially distance, trying to get exercise. You have to create this space. And so councils kind of jumped to it, but not all of them knew what they were doing or necessarily wanted to do it. And that's kind of where we're seeing this disparity, I think. So, yeah. I think we're seeing a a, a kind of, a gradual change from um, from the Department of Transport and obviously and the ministers involved and, and the kind of um, general discourse around it. What we see, what we saw in Tranche One, the kind of which was the Emergency Act of Travel Fund, and it was we need to do it now. You know, act quickly. Uh, and actually, the government um, issued um, statutory guidance, and the wording that went along with that guidance in a letter um, was very um, firm in that this was not an option for for councils. Um, Some councils, um, or pretty much all councils, uh, applied. Some got very little amounts of money compared to what they applied with because their applications weren't very strong. Um, And some that have applied and got the money have have used it well, uh, we should say. Um, And then there are a minority of schemes that have been um, uh, not, not implemented well or implemented well and taken out because of um, the, the so-called bike clash, uh, if you like. Tranche two seems to be, um, uh, a little bit, um, uh, a little bit different in, in its approach. It seems to, uh, favor, um, favor more permanent schemes, obviously, but also you can see the councils that have always really wanted to do cycling are getting the kind of funding that they need. And there are some councils who are, you know, they're not against their will, but but certainly haven't probably been massively um, uh, ambitious. So we're seeing a, a gradual decrease. But the big thing that Laura mentioned that I've sort of spotted and, and others, everyone spotted effectively, is this narrative of consultation. And it was actually, it's quite unusual because the, the DFT at the start of this process launched guidance to councils sort of encouraging them to work as quickly as possible and to consult while stuff was in the ground. Um, and now the the narrative has become uh, a little bit more, we need to consult first. It still doesn't need to take ages, but we definitely need to make sure people are happy before this stuff goes in. Um, that seems to be the olive branch to the to the Telegraph and, and some of the uh, councils that have taken stuff out under, under inverted commas, pressure. Well, I mean, there is, there is pressure. That's, that's undeniable. It's a question of how you interpret... It's a question of how you interpret the pressure and how you filter that information. You know, you, you, you only need to look at, as I have done just just before we started recording the podcast, the um, the website of our local um, online newspaper down here in Southeast London, you know, and if you, if you kind of look for stories about our local LTNs, which have been quite newsworthy actually down in Lewisham because some of them have been removed or one in particular has been removed or altered so much so that it's been kind of null and voided. Um, you know, that, that came about as a result of some really quite vociferous pressure. And if you look at the comments underneath the, the, um, uh, the articles, you can, I think it's not a massive leap of faith to understand why, uh, councillors right up to our local mayor got quite cold feet quite quickly. Um, now the question is how small, how much is that confined to a small and very angry group of people? And how much can you, um, how much evidence can you find that actually there is a much uh, broader base, which is much quieter and much more in support of these LTNs? And that's a very hard, that's a very hard kind of ev- evidence 
to find, isn't it? And to, to, you know, reassure yourself about. Well, yes. Um, but the, the, the government have, um, the DFT have, um, have tried to, um, try to do that, uh, in terms of, uh, a poll with, uh, with independent polling company, Kantar Media, that found that 65% of people across England support reallocating road space and nearly out of eight out of 10 people, uh, support measures to reduce road traffic in their, in their neighborhood. And then there was additional polling, polling independently by Redfield and Wilton that showed that 19% of people oppose LTNs. In London, 52% support them and 25% are neutral. So there is this, uh, the, the, obviously the pushback is the, the narrative of um, the silent majority who are not being heard, uh, who, who actually just want to be kind of left alone and and probably just fancy walking and riding their bikes and think it would improve their community. We also see a massive uh, as you'd probably expect, but it's always interesting at, at disparity in ages. So, um, you know, in the over 65 um, age group, um, they're uh, most resistant to um, to things like road space reallocation. Um, and the younger folk are most positive towards it. Um, so we're seeing a, um, uh, we're obviously seeing a disparity, but when it comes to voting, um, obviously there's there's always that, uh, subconscious bias that it's the older folk that vote and the young people are the ones that kind of, um, get left, uh, get left behind or get left out. But that's, that's, that sort of, uh, research I think is important. We did research for bikers best, uh, back in August that showed that, you know, for every one person against, there were six and a half people, uh, in favor for measures to, um, to enable cycling and, and, and walking. So, there is noisy parts at both ends of, of, of the spectrum, I think it's fair to say. Um, and uh, what what I think the message to councils is and, and what my message to councils would be is that in the middle, uh, the middle ground of normal folk, normal voters, um, people actually quite like nicer neighbourhoods to live in and they'd actually quite like to be able to replicate what they had during lockdown where they could cycle their kids to the park or to school. Um, and it's not some sort of culture war uh, that it's being presented as. So here's where I think um, the the way that you install these LTNs on the ground and the messaging that is visible on the, at street level is absolutely critical and fundamental to their success or failure. Because at the moment, uh, when I encounter them, uh, which I do from time to time, um, I all I, the, primarily what I see is um, no entry signs and things that block other things, you know. And I think that that is the first impression that they give. Um, they're not, they're not, it's not a positive message. It's actually a, a, a quite a forbidding message, uh, which hides, which hides the, um, the real benefits and the intent. And I don't know how much thought is given to that. Um, I don't think that, uh, they are very well explained actually. We might, you know, you, you guys are on the inside, but even I sometimes have to struggle to sort of keep up with where, where you're all at and your understanding of their benefits. Um, and certainly if you're just walking down the street and you have a, you know, 0.1% interest in active travel as a kind of phenomenon, you need this stuff late. You need this, this messaging has to be absolutely clear. So that alongside the no entry signs, which I understand are quite important when you're trying to turn a car around, um, uh, there needs to be another sign that explains in detail what it is that is being achieved behind this, uh, blocking in the road. For, yeah. for, for motor traffic. And that I think is um, a, a quite a simple potential win uh, and certainly mm -hmm. a kind of paradigm shift in how we present this to the, the broader population. 
Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there, Ned. And I think this is, um, I've been looking into this the last couple of days for an article and had quite a few long, quite interesting chats with people about this. And this is what I'm hearing is that people really need to understand what's going on before it happens, really. And that hasn't been possible with much of this emergency active travel fund stuff that's gone in, all these LTNs, all these sort of temporary planters that have gone in around London. And like you, the first thing they will have seen is something that's, you know, I hadn't really thought of it like that. It's something blocking the road. You know, if you're driving around London and suddenly you can't get somewhere, you think, oh, for God's sake, um, you've got enough, enough on your plate at the moment. But yeah, one thing that um, that I've sort of realised having these conversations is that the councils, I mean, perhaps it's obvious that the councils who've already had these conversations with their constituents about roadways reallocation, maybe about 20 mile an hour zones or even controlled parking can can like set the scene for this kind of stuff. Um, councils that have done that and or even had a discussion about a low traffic neighborhood, my low traffic neighborhood, we were having discussions about changing this area uh, before COVID. And so there was a commonplace thing and people were putting on there what they thought the problems were. And so it was kind of in the consciousness. And so when the emergency LTN came in, in that area, it was less of a surprise for people. And I think the council comms, well, some say it was good, some say it was bad, but either way, it seemed like there was enough for people to kind of accept it. And without that, it really is, you know, people feel like there's something being done to them. And, you know, like you're both saying, most people are in the middle, don't really care either way, don't really maybe understand the benefits or um, would be broadly for it if, you know, if if they uh, did kind of see it. But um, yeah, it's about kind of, helping those people understand it before the kind of shouting comes in really, because once that comes in and it often comes in quite early, then you start to panic people. Nobody likes change. And if you feel like you're going to lose something, then, then you're obviously going to start to clamor for, for that thing back, even if you stand to gain a lot. And John Dales did quite an interesting uh, blog about this recent, no, back in August, actually, I only just saw it, um, about loss aversion. It's basically this phenomenon. But yeah, it's about getting people on side before, basically. And, and if you don't do that, then then people who are going to be sort of fear-mongering are going to get the conversation, like hold the conversation. It's about what you're giving rather than what you're what you're taking away isn't it and i think we can all i think everybody would agree regardless of your opinion on ltns and other things that uh consultation uh, needs to be better i think some councils have, have as you say Laura, have already had a plan in place and have just used the funding to uh, to allocate, they've had oven-ready kind of schemes, if you like, and and when the money's come in, they've kind of got it, got it, got it ready. Um, don't don't and, use uh, that phrase, please. Don't sorry, use that phrase. <laughs> don't like it. I'm just thinking uh, of Christmas puddings. I keep thinking of Christmas now. Yeah. Just like you're, you're putting the brandy in the Christmas pudding. You're like keeping it yeah. moist, ready for Christmas. Um, but we we um, we've seen also uh, a lot of um, poor consultation. I, I would. You know, I obviously would not agree with the fact there's been no consultation, but the concept of having a emergency traffic regulation order, which gets put in, and then you consult afterwards, and and you know we know that councils are quite hard to be in touch with. I'm I'm lucky because of what I'm doing that I know the right people at the council. But before that, I could remember I needed a new wheelie bin and I was sort of like totally perplexed by how I would get a wheelie bin uh, for my for my house. And I can imagine the, you know, you see this stuff and you feel powerless to to, to support. So I think engagement's going to be 
uh, is really important. And I, you know, I've seen from the from the the press release, the data and everything that's come out. That is the narrative that's being built: is consult with people and bring people on a journey with you. Um, and to be fair, that's kind of what Chris Boardman and others have been saying uh, all along. It's just yeah. the yeah, the guidance true. hasn't been there, and the pace has been been too much of mm. a stretch for people to do that. Yeah. And like Chris Baldwin, I mean, what they did in Manchester was give people a piece of, famously give people some paper and pens and say, where are the problems? And that seems to be where you, how you need to do it. Basically, this is what, this is what I've been hearing that it's not about saying, do you want this? Yes or no? Or do you, know, giving a people a veto to do nothing. It's about like, what are the problems you see in your area? And, and then how do we solve those problems? And it's not like a do nothing, doing nothing is not an option. And that's kind of how you do it. Basically it's much quicker than, yeah, it's a much quicker way of doing things as well that way. I was speaking to a um, to some London cycling campaign uh, campaigners, and they mentioned that one of their local authorities had, before implementing uh, any LTNs, had kind of done a uh, a street survey of residents already, asking them about the issues that 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 face them in terms of uh, noise pollution, air pollution, antisocial behaviour, rat running, and those things. Um, and then they were able to kind of gauge the issues that needed to be solved. And in some cases, the LTN is a is a solution um, for some of those um, problems, such as you know rat running, air pollution, and noise. Um, and it's presented quite rightly as a uh, as an antidote to the issues that the the, the residents themselves have already raised. Um, and I think that was really you know really smart to bring the community on board with you and, and kind of address the elephant in the room that you can't not do anything. You know, you've already acknowledged that there's some problems. We are just taking action here. Um, and, and there seems to be a lot more support for that approach than, than obviously placing stuff and then kind of asking people what they think afterwards, which makes sense when you say it like that. Yeah. And for all the kind of, um, I don't know, for all the, the news that's been going around of late about um, and Grant Chaps's last letter, he has written to all councils and said, you know, back to the point about, is there an imperative to do something? He has written to councils and said, um, you know, to do something basically and not to give Peter Walker wrote a piece, didn't he? Said not to listen, not to listen only to the loudest voices will give any one group a veto. So yeah, which is encouraging. So can, can I ask about, you know, mo moving on to some of the detail of what this money is for and in tranche two, and you, you both referenced that really the ambition is to turn temporary schemes into more permanent um, redesigns, I suppose. I mean, I, I do think that's quite important because when I think of around where I live, where, where, when I think of those streets, and there aren't really that many of them actually, but that have still got um, uh, orange plastic fencing into the road and for, for widening pavements and various other bits and pieces like that. I do think a couple of things about them. One, one I think they, they look... Um, inadequate because the fencing gets pushed around and, and kind of broken up. And two, I think they're really ugly. You know, I yeah, think, I think, I think, I think totally. they're nice. Um, and I think that they are, they are suggestive of something that's been botched. Um, and uh, they're not going to please anyone really. And, and I, you know, so it's the, it's the idea that those schemes that are de deemed to be important enough then become, you know, curbs in, in the ground and, and, <laughs> Yeah, he did say something. In, um, there is some uh, something in, I think, the guidance about these 
kind of fences on pavements and just saying they don't really work. They stop people from crossing the road. And so I think those are out. What what Transport for London's done is um, they've kind of extended the curves by putting a new curb stone line like further out into the road. That's what they did in Brixton. They've put all, it's almost like the stuff you get in kids' playgrounds. It's slightly bouncy. It looks like tarmac, but it's like rub, more rubbery. The bounce um, way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's ba- here. Maybe that's it's what they're arrived. setting up. In secret. It took a global pandemic, but the bounce way is here. <laughs> so what do these things do? Do they, you'd know, I suppose you'd notice them if you run the wheels of your car over them, but they wouldn't damage your car or something like that. Is that No, is that I think it's right just or? a quick way of expanding a pavement, basically, because they did that Brixton one super quick. And then there's one on Bishopsgate as well, which I thought was a bike lane at first, because it looks different from the, I sort of rode on it for a bit and then realised my mistake. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's just, I think it's just a quick way of doing things. I don't think it's just like this, this goop that they pour in. Those sets. barriers, um, those original barriers, they, they did look awful and they did look yeah. very botched. Um, well in and Hatfield, which is Grant Shapps's constituency, uh, you know, had, had those in the local council. And, and I think that those, the pictures of those, kind of haunted Grant Chaps uh, uh, a little bit because they give off the wrong impression. Yeah. And actually what Transport for London did, which I think is, uh, and I should acknowledge that actually I showed a bit of frustration at the start that they weren't, um, they weren't acting what I felt to be quick enough. Um, and actually they, they, when they did implement um, schemes, they made sure they used proper materials and they made sure they actually built, um, street space branding. So there was actually like a, uh, it was still temporary, but like it looked much better, um, in the way that it had been put across. And I think the, um, the other thing to note actually is if you're a local authority, it's really actually quite hard to get hold of some of these materials right now, because basically, you know, you've gone from it being page 946 in the screw fix catalog to get some, to get some plastic ones. You can't get them from screw fix, but if you could, they would be there. And basically then the entire market wants them all at the same time. Um, so actually some, some councils have either not been able to do this as quickly as they wanted to, or they've used materials that probably like water filled barriers that they had lying around, which don't look great, but serve the purpose, purpose of traffic separation. Um, so it's been, yeah, it's been challenging, but I think those that have, uh, done it well, the stuff looks good and they can make it even better. I think the stuff we'll see going forward is the kind of stuff that you think when it, when you see it, it's like, oh, that belongs here and this is for people like exactly. me rather than oh it's a council again they've done this exactly no, I, I think that's exactly right and by the way if anybody wants uh, to get their hands on some barriers that are serving no function whatsoever there's some in Greenwich at the Royal Naval College that just basically stop you from walking <laughs> on the lawns they serve no purpose whatsoever but they're all branded up with the street space um thing so it's been a bit piece, piecemeal and unsatisfactory hasn't it um, but I also think in terms of the consultation, um, I do think because let's face it, I don't think many people from the Association of British uh, Drivers will be listening to Streets Ahead's podcast. I think it's unlikely. So by and large, I would assume that most of our listenership are reasonably engaged in promoting active travel and that's their interest. Um, I think it's incumbent on us as a community, if I can kind of lump us all together, because we all have a different take on it. Um, not to, to engage in the consultation, but not to be too proud 
that we, or too dogmatic, that we can't see the weakness in the detail sometimes. Because I think that it is true that there are um, local schemes which have been rushed and uh, ill-considered and are largely ineffective. And actually, when they are all three of those things, they're really counterproductive. Mm. You know, without going yeah. into detail, I can think of I can think of one uh, pavement widening scheme in, in around where I live that I is unnecessary because there's enough room for pedestrians and cyclists anyway. Mm. And and literally, all that is doing is kind of constricting the flow of traffic and raising people's blood pressure. Yeah, I totally agree. We we all need to uh, embrace consultation because it's. It's just so important in anything that you do, let alone just city planning. But just generally, if you talk to people about stuff, you you bring them on a on, on a journey. It's kind of just just sort of basic um, principles. And I think we've uh, as a as a kind of movement, if you like, um, to want to sort of club us all together. But as a movement, um, I, you know, I think we've we've taken two steps forward and probably one step one step back in terms of. Um, the, the kind of schemes that have been delivered because of because they haven't been suitably fit for purpose. And I think we need to, um, you know, in some cases, especially to local residents, when you're working on a local level is, is have an olive branch out and, and say, look, I appreciate that hasn't worked. And actually, if you do speak to, to, to the groups who are um, very much against things like low traffic neighborhoods, um, they do in a sort of weird way, share the same vision. I think that there's a different, you know, a different nature of, uh, how quickly things need to be done and the reality of, of how, you know, that you need to move quickly to make a change in a climate emergency in a respiratory pandemic. But if you look at it, they, they, you know, many of the groups are still, you know, they still want less pollution. They still want less traffic. They, they, they just, don't agree with the methods that have been, uh, that have been done. Now you're never going to find the the kind of middle ground in low traffic neighborhoods. If you don't, you just don't agree with them and people that do really want them. But in terms of the, the, the things that those people agree with, I think there is more common ground than we, uh, we would expect. I've been attempting to yeah. engage, um, with those folks because I think, yeah, if they, if they talk to cycling advocates, uh, more and there's less kind of animosity between them, then we might actually be able to get to a position where there's good compromise. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe I'm, maybe it's too wishful thinking, but that's, that would be the hope. Yeah. I think it is really important. You're right to talk to people and not to instantly assume that because they don't agree with you, that they don't care about kids safety or like, clean air or that they're somehow bad human being. I think that it's quite easy to sort of boil things down to that level um, and to become entrenched. And actually it's just, you know, people feel like they're being listened to. And obviously social media tends to, um, there's, I don't know, maybe it attracts people who are more sort of entrenched in their views sometimes, or maybe it's those just not are the normal. That, it's just not a normal, yeah, the, those the are the people that kind of shown. it's just not a normal place, is it? In, the, um, yeah. Kind of discussions. Yeah. It's not a normal, it's not a normal place, but yeah, I mean, just if you can talk to people in real life, IRL, then, you know, it's much better. <laughs> I did. I did actually. I put on. I put on Twitter earlier questions that people wanted to ask. Sorry, Ned, you, you wanted to say something first. No, I just. To- well, no, no, just to, to no. I'm sure, I'd love to come to the questions, but just to round off the point that I think I completely agree with you, Adam. It's all very cosy. We're all agreeing with each other Yay. all the time, but um, <laughs> yeah. but, but um, I do. I completely agree with you. Another another 
what I've picked up sort of reading between the lines of people who are very opposed to LTNs is one of their concerns, or at least their professed concerns, is identical to what we, if you like, think. And that is um, the serving the interests of uh, more deprived residents and deprived communities, their best mm. interests. And, and that's, a, that's a central concern of a lot of people who um, don't see LTNs as, a, as, as anything other than hindering the opportunities and uh, the life chances of people who live in these streets. So yeah. um, I think it's, it's, it's really, imp- I think it's a really good starting point. Like not where do we disagree? Where do we agree should be, yeah. should be our first uh, kind of port of call and then take yeah. it from there. Yeah. I mean, maybe it is wishful thinking, but I think it, something needs to change in our, in our approach and the way that we address yeah. each other across the, across the d- divide, if there is one. Yeah. Anyway, just sorry, Laurie, go, go ahead. Talk to people in your community. Yeah. Um, just just on that point, just before we go go into to, to questions, um, I think it's f- fair to analyse that in some of the groups and some of the discourse we've seen, um, groups that need to be consulted with really seriously, um, you know, people, uh, disabled people, or um, blind people, partially sighted people, um, who this stuff really affects and if not done properly, um, can have a big impact. Mm. Um, I think it's fair to say that the status quo of council engagement probably doesn't, doesn't engage with those, those groups as, Mm. um, as much as it, as well as it should, I should say. And also the thing that I've noticed and I'll explain why, and I've realized, um, recently is that, those groups are not always representative of all the needs of users as well. You know, you can't, um, for example, uh, take uh, wheelchair users. Um, people use wheelchairs for a variety of reasons, a, a variety of um, paces, and and uh, understanding that is really, you know, is really essential. And actually, catering for all is really, really difficult. Um, I, I, the reason I mention it is because, and I hold my hands up, and I've been in a massive learning process with this, and it shows why good consultation is important, and talking to people is really important. Is I saw um, a new cycle lane popped up in in Lambeth. Um, and I think really smartly, principally, they'd included, they'd call them mobility lanes. And I think this is a really good idea in principle because um, it's not just for cyclists. It's for anybody who wants to wheel and kind of get about and can make use of those lanes. Um, so I, you know, as a, um, a a non-disabled person who, you know, uh, thinks that they understand some of the issues that disabled people face, but obviously I'm by no means an expert, but I was coming from a good place, posted about these mobility lanes saying, I think these are the future. And on the mobility lanes, there was an icon of an electric scooter, of a wheelchair, uh, and of a bicycle. And I didn't think anything of it. Um, And several hundred people retweeted that tweet in support thinking, yeah, Adam's right. These are the future. This is great, great idea. And then it started to fall outside of my echo chamber into, uh, into a, a sort of Twitter sphere of, um, of disabled people. Um, and they, you know, a big community, global community actually uh, on Twitter who thought I was evil and this was the worst thing that they'd ever seen. And they thought that because, um, as a wheelchair user, most of them are doing three or four miles an hour. 
and they already feel, feel vilified on the pavements. So in the same way that cyclists, in a much more serious way actually, than cyclists feel sometimes they're forced to use cycling infrastructure if it's not very good, wheelchair users actually quite commonly feel vilified from the pavement and that if there is a dedicated lane with a wheelchair space on it, they should have, they're being going to be forced by society to use it. And that restricts their accessibility and needs for shopping and things like that um, even more. And I hadn't thought of that whatsoever. The idea of mobility lanes was was totally valid. The council clearly hadn't thought of it either because they painted it on the road. They've actually adjusted it now. It's now a uh, a hand cycle icon, which is what I was trying to portray in the kind of accessibility of anyone who wants to use it. Um, but just using that icon and not talking to actually any disabled people really led to this kind of huge storm that was just totally unnecessary. And for me, that was the moment where I realized, hey, I was coming from the right place. But actually, if you don't talk to people uh, as much as you need to, then then well-intentioned stuff can just go, go horribly wrong. Uh, and that was my lesson. My week on holiday, I spent doing that on Twitter. That's really, I think it's really interesting and uh, I can completely see how you um, ran into that confusion. And I've just learned something by, by your testimony there. So um, yes, yeah, true. Yeah. Questions, Laura. Have we got any questions? What does Twitter Good. say? What does real life Twitter say? <sighs> real life Twitter. So um someone frankie roberto asks uh, a question for the team do you have thoughts on what a genuinely good consultation process would be maybe we've covered that i'm not sure we've kind of talked around it a little bit i well following on from that um adam reynolds uh who is uh, does a lot of stuff in uh bath um has has shared a um a little a little diagram which i'll um try to link to it it looks particularly council like mind map yeah yeah, it flow looks charts. very council-like. I've got to say, it's like a big flow chart that you think, you know, normal people wouldn't necessarily read and engage with. Frankie, but from a council point of view... Um, that flow chart talks, is coming to you. Yes. Um, cool. It talks about, you know, a request for a low-traffic neighbourhood received. So I think that's sort of interesting in itself because we need to, um, you know... we you can't just prioritize communities that want stuff because what you'll, what you'll end up with is, um, you know, active travel advocates, you know, and, and people like just having nice neighborhoods, um, and everyone else suffering, which would be exacerbating some of the inequalities that we're already, um, seeing. But I think it's important to have a discussion of an evidence of need and data collection, which is what yeah, this flowchart exactly. yeah, says, exactly. building concepts, co-designing those concepts and and sharing them with people tools like commonplace are really good from a mapping point of view but i've seen some other good consultation tools that you know almost create forums and allow you to submit questions and and so on um for schemes when you can see them because obviously commonplace just provides you with a map but really when you want to see design schemes so you can actually imagine what it will look like um and and you know ask specific questions uh, on that um and in coventry when we had a cycle lane recently normally you would get about 30 people uh can you know giving their feedback and just sort of in a village hall somewhere. Um, and uh, for the cycle lane in, in, in Coventry, we had about two and a half thousand respondents because now we're doing everything digitally because of COVID, but also because it's just way more prevalent. Um, and that's really, really positive as well. But people were able to see the drawings and they were able to get their head around it. And there were nice visual mock-ups of what it, um, what it would look like. And every single question to the council was answered individually, no copy and pasting, 
you know, lots of phone calls going on, which I thought was um, brilliant, massively time intensive from the officers involved, but really, really, really good. Um, and then, then it comes into creating the the detailed uh, the detailed design and the experimental traffic order, which is the boring stuff. It's the putting stuff on lampposts and, and going from there. Really importantly, at the bottom, monitoring and evaluation. Now, this is the kind of uh, issues that some sometimes people cry out and say, look, I don't know how you're monitoring this and, and, you know, and they can't get answers from the council. I think it's really important that councils say how they're monitoring and evaluating, that they're doing regular traffic counts. This whole argument that low traffic neighborhoods are pushing pollution onto main roads, for example, um, needs to be, uh, needs to be monitored through actual air pollution monitors and we need to not just take that figure in isolation we need to look at what what the main road was doing before the low traffic neighborhood and also the the trend of it you know the trends in london show that main roads are actually getting less traffic gradually and residential roads have gone through the sky in terms of the traffic they're absorbing because of ways and google maps and things like that so we need to not just monitor air pollution day by day but actually look over a Period of time. Yeah, and say, pollution monitoring is pretty complicated. So yeah, yeah, it's really complicated. Uh, yeah, but we need yeah, to be able not to. Just, you can't just do it in isolation. Way, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good, um, good. I just want. I wanted to pick you up on on car, my experience as a consultee. Is that a word? Consultee. Yeah, um, and it goes back to months ago when we first started podcasting. I was. Um, it must have been April, I guess, and I was very excitedly, almost on an hourly basis, going back to our council's commonplace facility they'd set up online where you could drop a pin and make a suggestion or a, a, a kind of, and I thought this was great. I thought it was great. I was literally flooding the map with suggestions. And, <laughs> and what was really rewarding about it was when I flagged up a kind of an issue and, and, and a potential solution, it was very rewarding to see other people felt the same. And it hmm. kind of, you know- Because you can like things on Commonplace, You can can't like you? things like and comments, you chip in yeah. and all that sort of thing. Well, needless to say, um, of my 34 suggestions, not one of them has been enacted. Oh, and, um, such a shame. And, uh, and they're all brilliant, by the way. Without, yeah, of course. Just, they're, um, all, they're, they're all, all planters uh, and removal of parking outside Ned's house. They were, though some of them were so simple. You know, this is the maddening thing. Some, some of them felt to me like a hundred pound fix, literally. Yeah. Stick a sign on a lamppost. It was as simple as that sometimes. Um, but uh, but I, I, not one of them got, uh, the, as far as I know, not a single one has been enacted. And this yeah. grates even more. I haven't had a single, that's nothing has come back my way. No one has responded. No one's, if you've got my email address, was it wow. a big data harvesting exercise? Okay. So no, no one contacts me and say, thank you for that. We've looked at this. We've looked at that for this reason. That's not possible. You know? So do you know what? I've lost, I've completely lost interest. Yeah. Oh, good, you, yes. have to, you have to have that two-way really feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You have to, otherwise yeah, it's not a consultation, respond. is it? It's just, yeah. it's just, it's just throwing a stone into an empty barrel and it yeah, echoes and around a, big, a bit. Yeah. 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 I agree. It's a big mistake that councils make is, is doing these things and then they're not being like genuine consultation exercises and, and people not, yeah, it's about responding to people's concerns, isn't it? Otherwise, you know, you care about this stuff and if you're put off, then what are people who are like, oh, I'll give this a go kind of thing. Well, what's the point? When the Emergency Active Travel Fund was first launched, um, a group called Cycleways, uh, who look after kind of Warwickshire, um, put together a you know a good dossier I would call of of 
those quick fixes because we didn't have commonplace like things that we would do with the um, with the money and and it was sent over to the council in good time ahead of their application not only did the council only receive uh, 25% of their um, of their overall allocation um, i then followed up with the council uh, a slightly different person within the council who confirmed that the like he'd never, he worked in the team. He'd never seen that document like ever. Like he'd never seen the document and it really frustrated me. Uh, like you felt Ned and realized, made me realize that actually, um, a lot of this stuff just not going through the right channels. And I think one of the solutions rather than just moaning about it, um, which I am, I think one of the solutions that I've put forward is that a lot of councils do have funds from these, these, schemes from the the act of travel fund but also warwickshire has quite a bit of capital funding uh, it's quite a well-run council for all its flaws it has it has money in the bank and and why you know i want them to hire sustrans and other other private designers to just go and, you know go through commonplace and just design out all these little things that because they don't have the resource most councils don't have the resource to consult properly and most councils don't have the resource to do the stuff properly but if you could actually harness that and then when the money comes in it's all laid out there for uh for councils because they've got it all they've got it all designed they just need to kind of allocate the funds and get it built rather than sort of you know flurry around and go ah what do we do there's a deadline for this funding we've got nothing to put forward Mm. this is the stuff we need to be um we need to be doing right now. And in, in Coventry to their, to their credit, um, they've hired a basically a cycleway manager, um, who is looking after two fully separated schemes that are fully, uh, you know, going in at the moment. Um, and you know, he, he's there and he can respond to every single consultation and he, he's the designer. So he can tweak stuff based on feedback. And it's only because they've got that resource that they're able to do it quite effectively, I think. And that's what councils should be looking to, to, to replicate. Good. Um, next question. Uh, we, we have a question from actually a friend of mine, James David Smith, uh, who says, um, he he made a he made a joke to begin with. He said, um, "Is this the only policy the government had done well in 2020?" Move on from that. <laughs> uh, more serious question: The amount seems a good amount, but not being familiar with funding and how it's split and the cost of things, is it? Will it make a difference? And I'm just looking through uh, the spreadsheet of allocated uh, funds for tranche two. There are some quite small amounts. Bracknell Forest, for example, 181 grand. How many bollards do you reckon you can get with that um, temporary uh, wands? Uh, to be fair, I think Bracknell Brack Forest is a very small, uh, very small authority. Herefordshire, 120 grand. That's Jesse Norman's patch, former cycling minister. When they were allocating the funds, I think the calculation, they didn't divulge the calculation, but they said originally the indicative funds were based on public transport demand. Yeah. Um, so it, there is a, there is a weight towards, um, there is a weight towards urban areas. I think mm-hmm. what I took from your spreadsheet and looking at the funding is that there are a couple of councils, um, uh, Essex, for example, who, uh, Oxfordshire, um, who pretty much spectacularly failed in their first tranche one bid have, have unlocked, um, considerably more money. And I think in the case of Essex have actually, um, sort of gone back and resubmitted in tranche one and unlocked a bit of that funding that was missed out first time around, which I understood was available for councils to, um, to do 
Is £175 million pounds, uh, a lot of money is one question. Is £2 billion pounds, a lot of money is another question. Yesterday, the government announced they were going to go ahead with a £2.4 billion pound tunnel building exercise underneath Stonehenge, um, which we, I won't get into because it's not my expertise, but it, doesn't, it sounds like a lot of money. It doesn't sound like a brilliant idea. Um, that puts it into perspective, I think, probably, doesn't it? Um, and and we need to remember that. I, I think we need to also remember that councils, where they are at the moment, don't have the resource to spend much more than £2 billion over five years, probably, um, without kind of making some errors or, or, or whatever. But when you compare it to some of the road projects, the roundabouts that are being built at, you know, nearly a billion pounds. Yeah. It Put really it into puts into perspective, perspective how, basically. how little money it is. Yeah. Why, why, I didn't quite understand, sorry, why is there, what, how did you phrase it? Why, why the councils which um, show a higher use of public transport are priority? Yeah. Did you explain that? I didn't quite understand. Yeah. That. So, so when tranche one was an, announced, um, obviously in the, in the, the first lockdown, the, the narrative was, um, key workers can't use, you know, can't get to work, can't use public, public transport, transport etc. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so rural areas, there was a basically a formula that urban areas that had high, high people, um, relying on public transport were given more mon- money to try and mode change from, 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 from public transport. Yeah. Interesting that though, isn't it? Because in the broader picture, in the longer term, these, there are two kind of slightly contradictory ambitions aren't they? One is this COVID ambition of um, getting people off buses and off trains, which which um, is understandable, but it pushes people into cars just as much as it, you know, perhaps put, puts people on bikes and makes them walk as well. But it certainly pushes people into cars. We've seen that, haven't we? Um, mm. And that if, that's, if that is one of the ambitions here behind the project, then it's kind of running counter to the longer term ambition, which is to get people, it's active travel, isn't it? To get people out of cars. So- it's kind yes. of it's kind of a weird dysfunctional triangle at the moment, mm, and um, yeah, God, the messaging has changed um, in in what it's saying. Obviously, from a COVID related thing, and then looking forward and, and kind of the recovery. I feel like we're you know obviously moving more into recovery mode, which is a certain narrative. Whether that's true or not, we, we'll, we'll find out. But you're you notice in before the pandemic, there was decarbonizing transport, which Grant Shapp specifically said, we will use our cars less, et cetera, et cetera, to the pandemic, which was walk or cycle, uh, if you can, and you know, if you really can't drive, um, to, to where we are now, where, where traffic is, is uh, something like 105% of normal levels and, and car, incre- car usage and car per- ownership is still um, increasing. And the last line of the press release is, is, I don't think we need to get too, too worked up about it, but it's telling. It says, you know, as well as promoting active travel, the government is committed to ensure all journeys are safe and reliable, including for motorists. Yeah. As part of this, it is moving ahead with significant plans of road upgrades across the country. £27.4 billion is being invested over the next five years through Highway England's road plan to ensure the road network is fit for the future, safe and reliable and efficient for drivers and businesses. And that that didn't used to be in the end bottom of cycling press releases. You know why um, that's there, it though. Only, it's, it's, it's for only, the Telegraph. I know exactly, what, I know exactly it's why they it's there. Because they want to keep the Telegraph happy. They don't want to make but them it's, sad. It's part of the narrative, right? It's it's part yeah, exactly. of the, the narrative. It's almost like there's two every... kind of conversations going on, isn't there? It's like 
the road building and then it's like oh but we want to get out of cars and but the road building you like you can't really touch it anyway that maybe that's one for another day um next question uh walking we haven't mentioned walking have we much susan claris we don't reckon we we don't mention walking half enough. We don't. I mean, <clears throat> there's right. so much more. We it's don't. so much more just in terms of footfall. It's just so, it's so much more important than cycling in in lots of ways. Yeah. The government don't e- either. We yeah. should, you know, they, they launched the they launched the video this morning. I believe uh, it's sort of like a five minute video. It's all video about cycling. Different, it's all about cycling, and and you know the, the cycling. I didn't like, love any of it, but go on, carry on. <laughs> laughed out loud so it's like all of it's like i don't know if it's all the transport ministers i kind of forget who's who sometimes but one of them anyway it's all of them on their bikes or like somewhere by a bike lane there's one guy he's basically on this little path on a grass verge like a tarmac bike path on the grass verge beside what looks like a kind of four lane motorway yes it's by like a massive like dual carriageway isn't it and he's just standing there and it's like <laughs> so he's like talking over the traffic lights going, we want better cycles like this. You're not making this look inviting, dude. It's like the bike path over the Aslo dike in uh, the, the sort of the dike that keeps the water out of the Netherlands. It's like this sort of, it's quite fun It's because like, it's like so novel, but it's basically a bit of tarmac by a motorway and you yeah, just think, put some trees in there, make it a bit nicer. Anyway, I just, I don't, that's not I mean, the point of the video, but it was quite funny. I don't have many areas of expertise and certainly when I'm in a podcast with you two, I, ha- I feel like I have none. But if I do oh, have no, one, Ned. if I That's do have true. one tiny bit of experience, it's in sort of video production and, you know, telling a narrative like that through working in television for 25 years. And that would have cost a few quid. And to be honest, mm. they could have taken that budget out of a cash point machine and just burnt it and had the same effect. Oh, it's just not, it's not, it's not achieving anything. It's just dribbling yeah. something out onto YouTube. A couple of thousand people who are already into mm. it will, will look at it. Yeah. Uh, and, it's and, long, and, isn't it? It's and five on we go. Long. If you want to, if you want to use this medium, use it effectively, have a fresh mes- message, have it, Make it watch, make it something you cannot take your eyes from mm. because it matters this much. There's a reason yeah. why we're doing this. There's a reason why every couple of weeks you and I and and, and Adam, Laura and myself sit in front of microphones and talk with passion and detail about this subject because it really matters. This isn't just a game we're playing. This isn't just a, a box ticking exercise. It infuriates me that that is considered to be an effective bit of messaging. Yeah. A bunch of, uh, you know, very well-intentioned people um, talking, preaching to the converted about putting, uh, it's just, it's just not hitting home. It's just a complete waste of budget. And you compare that with the video that Chris Boardman did with the ITV coverage this year, um, where he was sort of cycling along and he said, my favorite bikes this year are the rusty, dusty ones. You know, it's so well produced. It was, he went to Ireland to that village where they made the high street they put bike lanes on the high, cycle lanes on the high street, expanded the pavements. It was just so inviting. There was nice music. It wasn't like taken from like a free music kind of library. I'm not sure where they got the, the soundtrack board. It was like pithy, but he said, yeah. you know, it takes a week to write that kind of thing. It take it does take effort. You you know, if you want to make something yeah. pithy, it takes effort. And, and like you say, it just, yeah, it was disappointing really because they could have done such a better and pithier job. Uh, uh, something that's maybe obvious to, to us and, may, and maybe not everybody else is that if you look at the government department involved, the Department of Transport, you know, it is it's quite a functional department based on, you know, getting people to, um, you know, on trans, transport effectively. It's, about um, it's, it's quite and buses. It's quite, it's quite, it's quite dry, and I think that's yeah, reflected in is. the in the department. If you look at the 
um, and hopefully active travel England could, 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 you know, potentially spruce this up somewhat. But if you look at another department, the department for media, culture and sports, who then obviously fund sport England, who then fund this girl can, for example, which, you know, this girl can wouldn't have launched a five minute video with some government ministers telling women to, 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 to exercise. Um, then, then you start to see the, the, the difference. And I, Mm. I hope that, you know, in the future, you know, we can have some of that kind of panache in transport because it it needs to kind of, um, we need to excite people and we need to explain quite nuanced messages in really clever ways and, and not that you can't do that in five minutes, you know, that it has to be 30 seconds or less. Uh, and yeah, we need, we need, the messaging um, is, imp- is as important as the message. I think people yeah, say, was, so I've heard some people say, not sure if that was, was crispy. nice to see Grant Chaps on a bike though. That's, uh, it was nice. that's something He's I don't quite, know. He seems quite charismatic actually. He was one of the more charismatic f- figures in the video. He's like pointing at bits of his bike going like, oh, this was perished. Uh, easy. There's not much to a bike. <laughs> I would agree. It was nice. <laughs> but when, we, when we've reached the point of Grant Shapps is one of the most charismatic things about the video. <laughs> <laughs> to see um, Christine Harris, I think last time I heard, he, he said he had like an old mountain bike. And, yes, that's and, what and I heard. In this video, he, he appears to have like got a bike from the future. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah it's that's... got like four spoke <laughs> go, go the like, hour record. chop your finger off wheels. <laughs> like, impressive. yeah, I can go and get my milk 6% faster. Um, it's, uh, but it's, it's, it's kind of, uh, yeah, I, 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 t- I do agree with you. You know, that we need to, we, we need to have that changed dramatically if we are to kind of, uh, improve things here. Yeah. Um, someone, someone on the Twitters has uh, mentioned the 27 billion, which I think we've ticked off. Uh, someone has tweeted the flowchart. Adam Reynolds has tweeted his flowchart. So look out for that, folks. We're going to share that. Uh, and then what else? Oh, um, one thing I did ask the DFT, but I didn't, I realized reading this, I didn't actually get an answer. Do we know the time scale by which funds have to be used? Because when the tranche two funds were going to be launched way earlier in the year, um, there was a deadline of April. And obviously now that's only what, five months away. So I'm presuming, I think they said it was going to be extended, but I'm not confident that that's the case or not. It it was, uh, it, I, I think it's fair to say it doesn't say in the information that's been yeah. announced today, the tranche two was un- supposed to be uh, announced in September uh, ish. Um, and then, you know, working to the end of the financial year next year to have, to have them in, be in the st- summer. Installed. I thought it was going to be much earlier than September originally, but um, anyway. No, so, so, so when it was announced, uh, so it went, when the tranche two was meant to be announced was in September, I thought, or maybe it was earlier than that. And maybe September mm, was like a, a push deadline. I think originally, and okay. then it might have got pushed a year. Anyway, it's not September anymore. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, here we are in November. So I know from speaking to a couple of councils that they find this quite frustrating because they, yeah. they had to Summer's work their now. socks off to get, yeah, they had to, well, also over. they had to How work their socks get... off to put together these yeah. bids. Yeah. And then, and then they're sort of sat on a desk for a mm. couple of months to be signed yeah, off, waiting shame. for the kind of right moment to do it. Um, so, so that that is that is a, a shame. And I think councils would probably be quite justified in saying, "Look, you need to they give need us, more time. You need to give us more it's time." Not time. Uh, if they're going to spend, well, some councils have got. I mean, uh, Manchester is one of the massive ones. Uh, they've got a lot. Hang on. <laughs> 
Hang on, how so, many? So David Brent my, that was. No, because I'm looking at my. Oh no, no, I see, I see, I see. I'm, I'm trying to understand my own spreadsheet while talking. It's clearly, it's clearly too much for my uh, for my brain to process. No, so so they've got fifteen million eight hundred seventy one thousand and two hundred fifty pounds, which is one hundred twenty five percent. So they're not going to obviously not going to spend that by April, unless they get all of the UK's uh, diggers and. <laughs> And in which case, no one else will be able to spend any money. So God knows. Um, yeah, Westmoreland's have got 13, just over 13 million, which is 95% of their, their allocation. That will be split across, you know, key cities. West Yorkshire uh, Combined Authority has uh, 10 million. Um, so, yeah, considerable amounts of um, of money to, 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 to get going. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, they need well, need to spend it fairly soon. Yeah, get spending, get spending. Maybe they need, maybe they need an army of volunteers. I mean, there is a massive, you know, space. talking about, you know, I think we've all been, we've all been buoyed by the, the better news about vaccines and the light at the end of the tunnel and everything. Yeah. And as you say, I was quite shocked when you said, you know, April's only five months away. Well, you're right. And as, as February moves into March and March moves into April, touch wood and hopefully the world's going to look very different. And yeah. we're going to be excited again, I think, by the opportunities uh, going forward about, about changing, changing the way we, we, we design our streets and our, and our travel. And I think it's a real, there's a, yes, what I'm saying is, there's another opportunity right around the corner. And this yeah. time we really need to um, make sure we take it uh, yeah. rather than let it slip through our fingers a little bit, which was yes. what I feel to some extent has happened. Positivity. Yeah, that's true. That's true. There was a there was a question, um, Laura, which you might, I don't know if you saw, but basically Twitter Twitter started to do this thing. It's, it's actually creating even more of an echo chamber than it already is. By mm. um, it actually hides some replies um, yeah, to, sure. to stuff. Okay. You have to, go for you have it, to go for kind it. of click yeah. click them. Um, but I, did, I have noticed this, um, and this person has one follower. I think it's a brand new account. So oh, is that furious? A, quite, yeah, it seems to be quite. Oh, a lot yeah, they've of done a few. Yeah. Yeah, it's easy for us to say, "Oh, well, they've only, they've only got one follower and whatever." But um, I, I think we should uh, we should talk about it. Um, surely, any changes need to have a disability impact assessment. Have a local emergency services been consulted? Yes. How yes, yes. have us journeys, for example, uh, been impacted? Um, so, I'm not sure yes. what that means, but um, yeah. yeah, the last one's a bit confusing. Um, so, yeah, uh, disability impact assessment. The government, in its advice. To release today, uh, the Traffic Management Act advice is uh, very clearly says that you need to um, consult with groups representing people with disabilities. So that's very good and also very important, as we know, because some of the stuff that's happened has, has, all, has not always helped people. Sometimes you get planters next to drop curbs and stuff, and this is very easily tweakable stuff, but super important. It's a very good point. Um, Wheels for Wellbeing uh, has been very good on um, consulting around like temporary cycle lanes. And I hope that they've been consulted on some of the stuff that's been going in, if not all of the stuff, and other disability uh, groups. Um, emergency services are always consulted. I think there have been some concerns from um, some parts uh, around uh, low traffic neighbourhoods, for example, 
But um, certainly in my area, I think there was one um, ambulance that was delayed in the entire time that we've had the LTN so far, which is since August. And apparently that was because a driver was going by memory instead of the Google Maps, which had been instantly updated with the LTN. And, and it wasn't a serious delay. The person was fine. Um, and um, But that's the only one. But yeah, I think it's important. That, I mean, obviously they need to know. Um, apparently, I didn't realize, but um, fire engines can like basically like monster trucks their way through um through LTNs through like they can push stuff out the way they can push parked cars out of the way they're like reinforced at the front and they can just it's like a toy car apparently I was talking to someone who's very enthusiastic about this it was it was kind of sweet actually but um yeah they can just push through but um uh, ambulance drivers can't so they need to be consulted they need to know the routes but it shouldn't I mean it shouldn't be a problem if they know where they're going um but yeah, it's consult- they're mandatory consultees. It's not like people are doing stuff without that's telling That's another part of it that's sort of been weaponized, hasn't it, of, of emergency yeah, service uh, access. And, and yeah. there was a video yesterday in, in from a local Hackney sergeant who, who, you know, Hackney have camera-controlled LTNs rather than having, they have planters yeah. but not physical barriers. And, and um, you know, the, the, the officer was saying, the sergeant was saying, um, do not believe the scaremongering. Uh, we... If you call 999, we will be here with you. We knock down doors. This is what we do for a living. We will get we will get to you. Uh, there's no problems here, and we're fully supportive of these uh, of these schemes. And I think one of the way one of the predictions I have is that if I think there is still a backlog of um, CCTV suppliers for these kind of things, and also mm. I think the legislation needs to change outside of London for it to be totally enforceable um but i think we'll see more camera controlled ltns that that basically issue fines of people that go through them rather than physically stopping people mm. from going through yeah. them which means that you well, have much whole, wider access yeah, for emergency whole, vehicles it's a whole other hornet's nest though isn't it maybe for another yeah. day but that that feeds right into the kind of conspiracy theories about the councils are making millions out of this and it's all you know so there's a there's another issue that that instantly provokes sure. that, might, that might be yeah. quite a thorny one but but yeah. your, your point about the um that tweet from, was it a tweet from the captain, the Hackney? In, in, uh, that's correct. We've spoken about this before in terms of messaging. Those voices are worth a hundred of ours, aren't they? You know, every time, every yeah. time you, you can recruit an ally who speaks with authority in a, in a, in a position like that, then uh, it's just, you know, they need all our support and, uh, and, and encouragement because that's really yeah. valuable. Good. Great. Great stuff. Well, thank you. Thank you to Twitter. Thank, thank you to, uh, thank you to um, Laura. Thank you to um, Ned. You're uh, very for welcome. Con- convening You're welcome, Adam. on this thank Friday you to you. morning. <laughs> thank you to me. Um, and uh, I'm. That's all that's left to do is tell you that you've been listening to Streets Ahead. Let us know what you think at Pod Streets Ahead on Twitter. You can rate us and review us and share the podcast with your friends, foes and family. Finally, wherever you're listening, we appreciate you. Catch you next time. Goodbye. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. 
Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.